Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. I love, I love graduation Sunday. I'll tell you what it makes me think of. It makes me think of 2 Timothy 2.2 that reads, And the things you've heard me say, Paul says, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Do you see what's going on in that verse? Paul's saying, I'm giving you these truths, Timothy, for you to hand to others who will then be able to teach others. It's like a relay race with the baton just continually being handled, handed to the next runner, to the next generation. And I see that. I'm so excited by this core of folks, graduates, that, that are being handed the baton, not just of, of intellectual truth and the things they've learned, but the gospel to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. It is so encouraging and exciting, and we really do pray for all of our graduates who are off to do that. So, very, very good. Um, uh, we are in uh, a season in the Bowser household that is pretty crazy. We've had two graduations and a wedding in the last four weeks. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm still standing. Um, this was last Monday. My oldest son, Jay, I just, just to kind of keep you up on the goings-on, I wasn't here last Sunday. appreciate Pastor Don preaching. My oldest son, Jay, was getting married, and he got married down in Greenville, South Carolina to his lovely bride, Morgan. I'm going to tell you, they're just a little happy, all right? <laughs> and uh, I, I just love welcoming a new daughter to the family. I now have eight kids, so... Uh, God is, is really, really good. And so I just share that to celebrate a, a lot of the fun things, that exciting things, really good things happening in, in my home. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 8, the 8th chapter of John. Join me in your Bibles. Uh, those of you over in the sanctuary here in Baker, maybe you're at home listening online. Uh, maybe this is being viewed years from now. Wherever you are, grab a Bible, grab your handheld, and, uh, and I really want us to, to dig into to this account here at the beginning of John chapter 8. But I, I want us also, we'll see this morning how this account really fits very clearly in the flow of events here in the middle of, uh, of John, John chapters 7 and 8. So join with me, John End of chapter 7, verse 53, then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and the, early the next morning at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. It's early morning, it's the still of the morning, and yet clearly crowds are already there up and at it in the temple area, gathering around him, and he, he teaches the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, right in the midst of this event, they bring in a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we see it's commanded us to stone 
such a woman. That's pelting her with rocks to the point of death. It's capital punishment. What do you say? Now, verse 6 very clearly lets us know what's going on. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. Jesus then does something very unusual, unexpected. He bends down and starts to, to write on the ground with his finger. We have to imagine that it's not paved, it's kind of gravelly and dusty, and, and he, he stoops down and just begins to write in the dust. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, stoops down, writes on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still now standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I, I can remember hearing this as a child, this, this incredible account of Jesus extending mercy and, and grace to, to this woman. Now, um, if you have a more modern translation, I grew up hearing this in the King James Version, my childhood, and there's no indication in the King James that, uh, that there's any controversy with this passage. Now, the new NIV does indicate this passage is, in my Bible, in italics. And there's some brackets that begin, I, I at least need to comment on the fact that that in later translations, uh, more modern translations of the Bible, they have found that um, in the earliest manuscripts that are available, okay, go all the way back to when John wrote this gospel. It's called the autographed copy of the gospel of John. We don't have the autographed copy, the actual uh, parchment that John would have written on. But through the years, of course, these writings were passed from generation to generation, and for 1,500 years, and really until the 14-1500s, it was all done by hand. Everything was scribed as, you know, copied from, from, by hand from one to another. And apparently in some of the earliest manuscripts, this account doesn't appear, which has led some to say, well, maybe John didn't originally have this in his gospel? Well, my answer to that question is, is I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was added in later, but I do know that all major uh, credible commentaries and, and experts on this do believe that this account happened, that this is an actual account. And here's what I'm going to say about that. I'm going to say, I believe God wanted us to have this account and I, I, I believe he wanted it to be exactly where it is. Okay, He wanted us to have this, to know this. And he wanted it right where, where it is. Now, why do I say that? It's because as we study Scripture, we always have to look in context. 
what's before it, what's after it, what's going on, what's the flow, what's God trying to say, not just in these particular sentences and paragraphs, but in the flow of what's happening in Scripture. And when we look at chapters 7 and 8, we learned a couple of weeks ago as we looked at chapter 7 that Jesus had been hanging out in the north where he, was, where he grew up near Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee, the north of Israel. But he goes down into Jerusalem, it's about 100 miles, give or take, during what's called the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the, the, the holiday for the Jewish people that occurred in harvest season. It's much like our Thanksgiving. And so Jesus went to Jerusalem in the middle of the week. He didn't show up at the beginning of the week on Sunday, but rather appeared Tuesday or Wednesday and began to teach in the temple courts. And uh, what we see in chapters 7 and 8 is John is addressing this question, who is Jesus? Who is he? And uh, I, I wanna, I'm a very visual person, and as I think about this question that's being posed to Jesus, I, I very intentionally put fire around the edges of the screen. And I included these, these arrows, but I, I want you to think of these arrows much like the points of a spear. Because this question, who is Jesus, is being asked in a very, very hateful way. The, the, the atmosphere that Jesus is, is in, in Jerusalem, is an atmosphere of, of hatred and of, of kind of a venomous, not a gentle philosophical, hmm, I wonder who Jesus is. It's at the point of a spear. Who are you? And we see that. Look back at chapter 7. I just, just to get the context, look at verse 20. And I added these little, little flames of fire by each one of these statements because that's what this is. The crowds uh, said to him in, in verse 20 of chapter 7, you're demon-possessed. You're actually filled with a demon. And then look down at verse 25. The people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the person, the man that they're trying to kill? Isn't this the man that, that literally has a death sentence on his head? Then look down at verse 30. As they tried, at this it says, they tried to seize him. So kind of imagine that. There's an effort being made now to get very physical, to, to apprehend him to grab him, to take him by force. In fact, down in verse 32 then, there were some guards uh, dispatched, temple guards, police, security, that were sent to, uh, to apprehend him, to arrest him. So this question that we have is being asked in a very tense, very hateful, very angry kind of an environment. In fact, now look at chapter 8 verse 25. Chapter 8, verse 25, they continue to ask, who are you? Who are you? And in fact, in verse 25, it simply says, who are you? They ask. Who are you? And again, I, I add this, this fire around the edge of the screen. So that's what's happening in chapter 7. Next week, we're, we're going to really dig into chapter 8, but I want to give you a preview uh, to the back half of chapter 8, because in answer to their question, I, I changed the graphic from almost fire to ice, because what I want you to see in chapter 8 
is not hatred, the hatred of the crowds, but the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus, because what Jesus now begins to say to them in this very spiteful environment is a declaration of who he is. And we see in chapter 8, verse 12, chapter 8, verse 12, when, the, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life, the light of life. So Jesus is now very clearly kind of um, speaking into their hatred and declaring without equivocation who he is. I am the light of the world. Down in verse 18, he says, I am the one who testifies for myself. I'm speaking on my own behalf. And then down in verse uh, 23, he clearly describes that he is not of this world. He is from above. Look look there at at verse 23. He continued, you are from below. That means the earth. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And then kind of... uh, the, the, the climax of, of all of this, what it's really driving us to is down in verse 58. Look down in verse 58. It's the fourth of his I am statements here in chapter, chapter 8. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham very truly, I tell you. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born. 2,000 years earlier, before Abraham was born, what does Jesus say? Come on. I am. am. Now, he's leaving no doubt here. The Jews, the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law know exactly what he's referring to. Do you? He's referring to Moses, who stood in front of a burning bush. Way back in Exodus chapter 3, if you know this account, where God is calling Moses to go and lead the nation of Israel out of slavery. And Moses asks God a question. That question is what? Who are you? Who who am I to say you are? What's your name? And God said simply what? I am. I am. That's who you're to tell them has sent you. I am has sent you. And here, Jesus in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. I am the one who testifies for myself. I am the one who comes from above. I am. That's who I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. So this is the flow. This is chapter 7 and and chapter 8. And what I want us to see here in this account that that I just read for you, and we'll go through it again in a moment, is that right in the midst of this heated debate and conflict, and understand, this is very, if you will, theology 401. These these questions that they're posing to Jesus and and his answer are are high theology, right? I mean, you, you feel it. You feel the moment of their hatred and and his glory right in between these two things. Right in the midst of this, John gives us this very 
intensely personal account. God gives it to us. Like I said, whether or not John had it in the original manuscript, I don't know, but I know God wanted us to have this. And what we see here is a terrified, lonely, defenseless, and yes, guilty woman who is, I know that the account describes her standing there, but I have to tell you, in my mind, I just imagine her being thrown there at the feet of Jesus, right there in the dust. And yes, I know, we don't know, we don't know where this man is. Of course, he should be there as well. But, but that's part of, of this whole thing. It's a trap. This woman is being used by the authorities to test Jesus. They don't care about her. And it's probably highly likely that one of their own was on the other end of this adultery and, and was, was scot-free in their mind because it was all a setup. This whole thing was a setup. And right in the midst of chapters 7 and 8 of this very high theology, we see this intensely personal account of this woman being thrown at the feet of Jesus at dawn, just to share it again. He appeared again in the temple courts. All the people gathered around, sat down to teach. The teachers of the law bring in this woman. They made her stand before the group defenseless, terrified. I mean, literally on the edge of being killed in this moment. And, and you think about what, what would be happening as someone is being led to the electric chair or being led to a, to a place of death. That's, that's what's happening here. Teacher, this woman caught in adultery. We're, we're, we're to stone her. Right here, right now, what do you say? They're, they're using this as a trap. They're trying to trap Jesus. And he bends down and writes on the ground with his finger. Now, I can remember hearing this story as a child in Sunday school, in vacation Bible school. And of course, the question that is begged, right? What did he write? <laughs> what did he write? We don't know. We don't, I mean, there's all sorts of experts that he's writing this, and maybe, maybe he was writing the names of, of all of those men standing around, and as they're watching, they see their name, you know. Ah, we don't know what he was writing, but I do know this, and this to me was so helpful as I, I read a commentary, and, and they pointed out a couple of things that, that we do know. First of all, we know that he stooped down. And second of all, we know that he wrote on the ground. And a couple of observations. First of all, about simply his act of stooping down. He was getting down. I, I, just, I can see Jesus humbling himself in this moment to this, to this woman and, and loving her. In the love of the Lord, he stooped down. And then he starts writing on the dust with his finger. Now, at the very least, what is going to happen as Jesus did that? Is he not drawing attention to himself? I mean, at the very least, we know that by doing this, everyone is now taking their attention off of her and putting it squarely on Jesus, which I really do believe that in doing 
in doing this, drawing attention to himself, he is in many ways protecting her. He's protecting her. He's taking all of the heat upon himself. All of the attention is now on Jesus as he is there in this spot. I, I just, this is depicted in one of the modern movies, but, uh, but to me this, this really is helpful just visually to, to see what's happening here. He's drawing their attention to himself. And then it goes on to say that those who heard this began to go away, as he said, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. The older ones first, they, they were the first ones to really catch on to what he was saying to them. Until only Jesus is left with the woman still, still there, standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? See, and that's exactly what they were doing to start with. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, as I thought about what's happening here, I thought about one word that absolutely describes this moment, this, this event, in one word, and it's the word grace. It's grace, amazing grace. The grace of Jesus Christ, who in this moment, this woman is literally in a place where Jesus could condemn her. And in condemning her, he could uh, sign her death warrant, right? And I, and I thought about the fact that the, how Scripture describes what is called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear, every one of us, the Bible's clear, before the judgment seat of Christ. All right, let that soak in. We will stand to be judged by Jesus. And isn't that kind of what's happening in this account? This woman is before, if you will, metaphorically, the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether, or, whether good or bad. Now, wherever the man was, he was guilty, but she was too. She, he said, Jesus said, go and what? Sin no more. And yet, what did she receive when she stood there or to think of her even you know, in the dust there at the feet of Jesus as he kneels down and, and shows her such grace. We see the mercy of Jesus. All this, we read back in 2 Corinthians 5, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Here you go. Not counting people's sin against them. That's the good news, church. This is the gospel. Not counting our sins against us. We, therefore, who are in Christ, are new creations. The old is gone, the new is come. This is exactly what we see happening in this account. Back in John 3, we read, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. 
but rather to save the world through Jesus. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Thanks be to God. And we need to see ourselves in this story, church. We are that woman thrown at the judgment seat of Christ. And do you know what we experience? We experience the heart of God, and the heart of God is grace. It is grace poured out to all who believe. It's been said that grace is when God gives us things we don't deserve. Mercy is is when he spares us from bad things we do deserve and blessings are when he is generous with both. Thank you, Jesus. I invite you to bow your heads and your hearts with me right now. Lord Jesus, we are before your holy throne, your judgment seat even. And when we are in you, Jesus, that means simply when we believe when we place our faith in you and trust you and worship you, humble ourselves before you truly in our hearts, believe that you are the Son of God, that you are the Messiah, that you are our rescuer, and that Jesus, that you went to the cross to pay the price for my sin. Lord Jesus, I, we, all of us, are guilty in our sin, and yet, Lord Jesus, you did not come into this world to condemn us, but to save us by your blood, to give your life for us, to take upon yourself our, my sin. And Lord, that we see that so clearly, clearly portrayed in this account. We worship you, Jesus. We ask you even right now, to wash our hearts clean. And we confess as one, you are God. We love you. We worship you and we thank you, Lord, for your blessings, for your grace and for your mercy given to us, poured out freely out of your love for us. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.